Today's Wednesday. It is uh, 11-4-2020. Let's begin our worship service with prayer. Father, thank you for this time we're here at this hour. We thank you for life, health, and strength. We thank you for your provisions for us in this world, being able to provide for us as we serve on the battlefield. We thank you for those who are here, and Father, we pray for uh, calm in our hearts, uh, even though we have this election and, and, and there's some pending votes to come in and we're not sure. And Father, we pray uh, that we can cast all our care upon you. We know you are concerned about our hearts and our focus. It should be on you. So we pray for peace. We pray for, for this country. We pray for uh, that your will be done in this matter. And we thank you and ask for wisdom as we have the opportunity to study together, to come together and to focus our attention on your word. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So we are, we have been studying in Romans chapter 8, and we have... Um, uh, a verse before us tonight, Romans eight twenty eight. It's a very common verse. Uh, if you start quoting it, probably somebody could finish it for you. It reads, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So we'll get into that a little bit. We have, uh, we're going to have some fun with that, I hope. And uh, before we do, we'll see if there are any questions out there on the table before we start. So the floor is open. Quiet tonight, huh? Yeah, I just want to say I don't, I don't think we... Uh... You know, in, in, you had mentioned, we were just talking about the politics and the election and all that stuff and how crazy it is. Um, and yet, when you put things in perspective of Paul facing Nero and a lot of other you know, violence and dictatorships and everything that happened in other countries, I think we realize that we're, we're not nearly as bad off as we could be and born in different times and different places. So, you know, I, you, you said something about it may change how we go about the real job that we have, our agenda, which is ambassadors, as ambassadors. Um, but really, I don't know that I'm, I'm hindered in that respect either way, no matter who wins the election. I agree. I think it doesn't. That's why in the first, you know, my thought was it really doesn't matter. Although we can't say that because that is why God is telling us to pray for those who have the rule over us. And he's not just talking about the president, but he's talking about those who have the rule. So that would mean the people in the Senate, the people in the House, all those who have the rule, because we could... We could be in war. I mean, uh, 
they could declare war and then, you know, or we could be invaded as a result of a weak leader. And I mean, there's a lot of factors as that could happen that could affect how we do things. Now, it doesn't mean we, um, we won't do them. It just may affect how we do them. Or you could look at it another way. Uh, if you're thinking about Nero and Paul, for instance, the, the early church, for the most part, for the first 200 and some years, was underground. It was not, uh, there was no big signs as you ride down the road, oh, such and such Christian church. The church was underground. And they were persecuted. So there was definitely, I mean, they still functioned. They still did what God wanted them to do. Uh, but they had to do it a different way. That's what. That's more of what I mean. I'll pause. I just want to make a comment on that. Um, the Bible says two or three are gathered here, and that's what he was doing. It was at home. They were they were the You know, even like with the uh, when John wrote the last book. You know, he he completed the canon of. It wasn't like that. Now we have um, sanctuaries and all the other stuff. They, it was it was a different way of of them doing things. They didn't have like the Bible and principles that we have. You know, they have letters though. They had the back and forth. They were like you said, they were hiding. So it's a little different compared to how the how the church was formed and got it started compared to what we have it now. I put a comment on it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we we have that to consider that the church was really from house to house. Uh, people opened up their homes and and had churches in their homes. That that was more house churches than anything. Right? There was uh, if there were places where Christians met, it would be in Jewish synagogues where um, there were also Jews who had a, a, a place where they could meet, Paul would go to those synagogues and he would try to preach the gospel while he was there. He, 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 he talked about Jesus and uh, knowing Paul's mind and knowing that he knows the law, he felt like I could certainly show these Jews how to uh, look at the Old Testament from my perspective, yeah, from, from what God had shown him. So... Yeah, but but for the most part, yeah, Nero was really brutal to Christians, and it it was not pretty. He uh, lied on Christians. He he made sport of Christians. Uh, you know, for him, Christians were not. Uh, even though he ruled over them, he was the ruler. Uh, he used them as pawns. So. Yeah. Other thoughts out there? All right, so if, if no other thoughts are out there, we should just jump right into our text. So let me go. I'm going to turn to Romans. Amen. All right. Romans 8. So I think in this, we probably will get a little bit of some reviewing. So Romans 8, 28, as we said, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, 
who have been called according to his purpose. So we're getting ready to jump into some scriptures that deal with our calling, uh, the plan of God, the eternal purpose of God. I mean, there's a lot of subjects that we have to put together to be able to understand some of the things that are before us. Although, Paul did an excellent job in the book of Romans, and even in Romans chapter 8, helping us understand a lot of these things that uh, are going to be the, the subject. And I feel, in some ways, he's done the job. He's done the work. What an excellent teacher Paul is in illustrating the hope of our calling. And it's been, for us, Sometimes when he says it all straight out like that, we have to stop and just meditate on those scriptures. Now, I don't know if you know how to do that, but I can suggest to you a couple thoughts. For me, well, listen, everybody has their phone today, so, you know, and they could go always have eSword or some other Bible application on their phone. And you could have... You just go, when you have time in your day, when you have some time to yourself, just take those scriptures out and just read them over. You already have some knowledge. Meditating is not emptying your mind. It is just the opposite. It is filling your mind with the thoughts of God. Right? So it's, it's not emptying your mind of all things. That's the Eastern philosophy of med, med, meditation. It is allowing the scripture to saturate your thinking, your consciousness. So you might want to read it over and, and just roll it over in your mind. And we know that all things, God works for the good. What does he mean by all things? What does he mean he works things for the good? What does he mean by those who love him? What do you mean those who don't love him? What about them? So, so it's, it's a good way for us to... Just make sure that we keep in our consciousness, keep on the forefront of our consciousness, the scriptures that are right there. And, you know, when you're sitting there meditating on scripture, it occupies your thinking. You know, I used to do this when I, uh, I would write down certain scriptures on a piece of paper. This is when they didn't, we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have any of that. I used to write down the scriptures I wanted to think about on a sheet of paper. And I would just, all day, whenever I had opportunity, I'd pull that piece of paper out and I would just read it. And I'd just meditate, think about it and what does it mean. And how, then I would even memorize it. I had looked at it so, so much, it would even, I would even memorize the scripture because I kept reading it over and thinking about it. So that's a thought. With all that Paul has said here, you just don't want to read it and just skip over it. Because if you think about all the time we took and tried to develop, oh, what, what does it mean? Uh, what are sister scriptures? Uh, how, how does this fit with the mystery and all that God has revealed to us? I mean, it, it, we, we are beginning to see the hope of our calling. So we want to take our time with this and make sure that we don't miss anything. So that's a suggestion. So let's, let's get into... 828. So the first part, it says, and we know. And one thing you should know in Greek, <clears throat> one of the things of Greek grammar that you learn is that there is no word order in Greek. 
Uh, there is word order. Let me back up. There's no, like in English, you can write out a sentence, and if I mix the words up, you would be mixed up. You'd be like, what in the world is Doug talking about? He got the first part he has over here and the second part over here, right? This doesn't make any sense. But in Greek, the words, you could do that with the Greek. You could just put the words, and it doesn't matter what word order. But the person who interprets that would look at the words, look at the prefixes and the endings of the word. It tells you how you ought to put that sentence on the paper, how, to, how you ought to understand the meaning. So Greek is a little different than English in that regard. So just by knowing that, you can look at... So in some cases, the translators don't all agree on what is the proper way to say it. I mean, it may be that you say it one way and you say it another way, but they both mean the same thing. And, but then it could mean some slightly different things if you put one sentence before, uh, one phrase before another phrase. So just to keep that in mind. When we go through the Bible using the NIV, uh, hopefully we are trying to get the meaning from what God has shown us in, in, from the original languages, from looking at different translations. So... So we're going to go with the NIV order. But I'm going to show you another order just so you can see how some translators might work it. But let's start with, and we know. What do we know? What do we know? Hopefully we know a lot if we're already at 28 verses in to Romans. And if we're looking at the context, that's what you should be looking at first. When Paul says, and we know, so you, you must look to see what he taught you. He's not saying, rack your mind to think about what you know. <laughs> He's saying, look at the context to see what uh, you uh, have gone through. What have we talked about? What do you know? And I could look at some of the context, and I'm going to have my Bible open here, and I have the context in front of me. So one of the things we know is that we're sons. If you look at 8.15, it talks about the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. So that verse, to me, is personal. Because it says that the Father is, a, is key, he's important in the relationship that we have with Christ. So the mind of Christ and the Spirit illuminating the mind of Christ causes us to call out to the Father. Notice the whole Trinity is involved in that. So we having, having that thought, right, that's what we know. How do we know that, right? The Spirit himself, verse 16, testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So this is the inward testimony. The Spirit himself takes it upon himself to make sure that he communicates to our spirit that we are, in fact, God's children. That is important to God the Holy Spirit, that he does that. And then we know from the Spirit himself, right, doing that, and that relates back to the guarantee that we have in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, where it says, you know, uh, he is, he, the Holy Spirit is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the purchase possession until the redemption, right? 
till we get our resurrection bodies. He guarantees what we have, that we are sons. He doesn't just say, hey, you're a son. He says, you know what? I'm going to give you an inward testimony about the fact that you're sons. I don't want you to just walk around believing it by faith. I want you to know that you're a son, that you walk around and you have this destiny upon you. This is your hope that you have to be concerned with. This is the calling that you have. How did you get to this calling? We'll get to that later. But he chose you in him before the creation of the world. That set up the calling for you. So we know that 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 happens for us. And then uh, we know that we're children, right? And And children, if we're children, we're heirs. And this is one point we didn't bring out before. Uh, So let me go back to this. So 8.17, he says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God. So there it is, we're heirs of God. Right? Because because he's talking about the fact that we're children. So what is that? If that's true, Paul says logically, then we're heirs. Heirs of God. So there it is, we're heirs of God. And then he says... And co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may share, we may also share in his, and here's what we need to add, even though we, adding to the word is not a good thing, just keep that in mind. (laughs) But here's what we need to understand, that we share in his earthly glory. Okay, so... If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his earthly glory. Because if we're, if we're suffering on the battlefield, we're going to be rewarded on the battlefield. Paul, uh, not Paul, I'm sorry. The Lord Jesus Christ came, he suffered, he, even to the point of death, and therefore God highly exalted him. And then what did Christ win? He won the right to rule this earth. He, he won back from Satan the right to be the ruler of this world. And uh, obviously he triumphed over Satan, says Colossians, defeating him at the cross. So the, the Christ performed in this world and God has highly exalted him, gave him a name as above every name, etc., etc. So you can share in that glory. That's why when we says. He says we are heirs of God. There is a glory that goes with being an heir of God. There is already a glory associated with that. And there is no earning it. You've already been called to this. And then this co-heirs with, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his earthly glory. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. See, so this whole point about us being heirs, there's a glory that will be revealed in us. And our present sufferings are not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So sharing Christ's glory that's co-heirs with Christ and, and his suffering in the world. The present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory. Now, what glory is that? Is that the same glory that is if we, we suffered and we receive the earthly glory? There's a glory that comes with 
us being an heir of God. Christ is an heir of God. And all things were given to him. And, and so forth. So that's what glory we have. Let's continue. What else do we know? We know that um, that glory will be, re be revealed in us at the second coming. If we look at um, verse 19, for the creation waits in e eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. See, see, this is not about our spiritual growth. This is about, this is every church age believer will be revealed at the second coming. And there's a glory. This has nothing to do with what you have earned on the battlefield. This has to do with your calling. For he chose you in him before the creation of the world. That's what this has to do with. Who you are in Christ. And this is where he talks about we have been raised and seated with him in the heavenly realms in order that uh, he might demonstrate right, the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That's Ephesians 2, 6, and 7. There's a glory that attends the children of God. Uh, that's who we are. That's our call. That's the hope of our calling. It has nothing to do with whether or not you will rule in this world. That's the earlier verse. If indeed you share in his sufferings, then you could share in that glory. So that's what we know. We know that at his second coming, that's going to happen. And when, when, uh, when he appears, then shall we appear with him in glory. That's the whole church. That's not some of the church. That's the whole church. We will appear with him in glory. So, so creation, right, it's, that's what's happening. Creation it's, is personified and it's said to be waiting for the plan of God to be finished, to be complete. That's verse oh, 20 through 21. Right? So 20 says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Notice, the freedom and glory of the children of God. You are going to have glory. It does not matter what happens, whether you are faithful or not. It's because you've been called and you have accepted that call when you believed in Christ. And what did God do? The moment you believed in Christ, you were baptized into Christ by means of the Spirit. You are now in him. And anybody who's in Christ is a new creation. Old things are gone. New things have come. We're in Christ. We're not even in Adam anymore. So this, this glory is, is going to be a part of our heritage, our inheritance of what God has called us to and who we are. And, and this is why I say... Uh, Creation is going to change when that happens. We know this. We've gone through this. This is what Paul taught us from reading Romans 8. Creation is waiting for God to complete his plan, right? That's, and so was creation. It says it's groaning. In other words, it's an anticipation that we, the sons of God, will show up in all of our glory. It will affect, that glory will affect the environment that we live in, that the world is in. 
So this is, this is what is true of us. This is what we know with certainty. And then we know that not only that, uh, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we're groaning. And, and because we, we see this hope that is swelling up inside of us. That's Romans 8, 23 through 25. It says, not only so, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. What is that? Ultimately, the redemption of our bodies. That is, for in this hope, we were saved. I think I, I can ask the question, well, you could ask why you were saved. And a person could say, well, you know, I believed in Christ. Well, you could say, well, this is the reason, really, why God saved you. A person might say, oh, I was saved because of the bad news. You know, I was lost. I was dead in my transgressions and sins in which, in which I used to live. That's why I was saved. And you could answer, ask or, or say that as an answer, but the answer God gives for why you were saved is right here. Because he chose you in him before the creation of the world. Did you have a choice in your salvation? Absolutely. You had to believe in Christ. And the moment you did, all of these things happened. You didn't know they were going to happen. God did. So this is the hope of our calling. Now, God is saying, can you see it now? Because you have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now it is the objective that you see the hope of your calling. And that you begin to order your life according to it. The groaning, the yearning for it, the can't wait, right? that is what's going to change your whole walk of how you conduct yourself in this world. We read that scripture on Sunday. He that has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. In other words, having this hope reorganizes and orders your entire life. Right? You have new priorities now because you have a destiny. You have a new scale of values. Everything is different for you because of the hope of your calling. And the more you come to love it, the Holy Spirit sheds this love abroad in our hearts where we, not only do we see our destiny, we understand the eternal purpose of the Father, but we want that for ourselves. That is our choice now. Not we, we're commanded to do this. It is our choice to do this because we want to walk worthy of the calling we have received. We want God's plan to come to completion just as much as he does. Well, not just as much, I'm sure. Not just as much. But we love it. And that's the love that goes beyond knowing. That's what it is. That we can see the height, the depth, the width, and the length of the plan. We can see that it's all the dimensions of it. And to know this love, which goes beyond knowing, that we might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So this is the understanding that we have come to see eye to eye with the Father. We have full knowledge. This is where he talks, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ. So we're seeing those things. So we know this about ourselves. 
right? We have this hope, the hope of our calling. And then, what else do we know? We're groaning, we're yearning, but we also have the Holy Spirit because even though we have all that, that knowledge, we still are living on the battlefield. We can't see everything. We're blind to some degree. But the Holy Spirit is our eyes. He's our awareness of things that we don't even know of because of the feebleness and weakness of who we are. Our bodies have deteriorated. Our mental capacity is deteriorated. And God the Holy Spirit steps in. And he picks us up. And he allows us to have fellowship with eternal God. All of that is part of God's care package for us in this world. Those of us who have been called according to his purpose. So we know our identity. That's what we know. We know our identity and we know the place that, the, that we have in the Father's eternal purpose. If we look at Ephesians 3, 10, and 11. So there it is. Ephesians 3, 10, and 11. It says his intent was that now through the church. Now notice, through the church. That's us. That's you and me. The manifold wisdom of God. So you have to know the manifold wisdom of God. It's not like you say, oh yeah, God's certainly wise. You need to know the manifold wisdom of God. Where, where is that? That's the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's the, the treasures of the, the mystery, right? That has been hidden from ages and generations, but is now revealed to us. It is up to us to understand the wisdom of it. This is the wisdom at 1 Corinthians 2, 7 says that was destined for our glory before time began. So you have this wisdom as you grow into it, as your mind is transformed into his image. The wisdom of God, the manifold, many, the variegated, many faceted wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Nobody knew this information. That's why it says in 3.9, it was kept hidden in God who created all things. It hid all this mystery in God before he created all things. It was kept hidden in God before he created all things. He's the one who created all things, but it was before. Why before? Because it was the plan. That's why he created all things, because of this plan. Verse 11, according to his eternal purpose, that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. You might say, well, it seems like every time we go to these scriptures, we, we pull different things from them. Why? Because it's the many-faceted wisdom of God. There's, it, we never run dry of this. It will always continue to like a wave just it just keeps coming and coming like you're standing on the beach and the wave just keeps coming the wisdom just keeps coming washing over you all the time you will never get to the bottom of it but you will have that wisdom and you will be a god's witness on this earth this is the calling right you're on the battlefield this is what you should be doing okay so let's keep going because we'll never get through. 
all of the verses that we want to. So we know that in all things, right? Uh, this all things, now we've gone over this all things before. What is all things a reference to? Now, this is, listen, not in every case. So you can't just look up all things in your concordance. <laughs> we used to say concordance because we used to have a Bible, paper Bible, and we would have a concordance, and we would look it up in the back and be turning and see all the pages. No more with Esword. Well, some people might, if you don't have Esword. Well, all things is equal to creation, but not in all verses. You have to make sure you read the context to understand what he means when he says all things. Well, we'll look at a couple. John 1, 3. I'm going to go fast, so you won't be able to keep up with me, but just listen. John 1, 3. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So there it is, right? Through him. Now, notice... Through him, through the word, through who, who's the word? And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's when the word took on a human body. Right? He took on human nature, John 4, 1, 14. So notice, it's through Christ. So Christ didn't have the original thought, hey, by the way, I think I'm going to create all things. It was the Father's plan. Christ Part of his role in the plan is creator. Who gave him that role? The Father did. That's why it's through him all things were made. Without him, not, not even one thing was made that has been made. So all things are a reference to creation. There's a, there's a verse right there. And then if we look at John 13 and 3, we're in John, we're going to skip over to 13, we'll look at 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all, all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So what is that? That's talking about Christ's mission while he was here on earth. He knew that the Father had put all things under his power. That means when, when Christ was raised from the dead, guess what he said? All power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All power. So, so when we think about that plan, then he says, and, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he came down from heaven to do the Father's will. He had a mission, and he was going to return to God. That was the plan. That was the Father's plan laid out in a verse for him. Notice, all things under his power. And then we can read later where verses in Ephesians talk about that he is going to be the head, and that all things, whether on things in heaven, things on earth, will be under him as the head of all things. That's Ephesians 1. We'll get to that later. But but there, so John 13, 3 is a fantastic verse. 14, 26. What about that one? Um, 14 and 26 says, But the advocate, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you, what are we, well, he's going to teach you, all things. You might say, well, all things? Well, all things about what? The, the scope of who we are in Christ, we're over all things. And the Holy Spirit will help us understand the role that we have in Christ. Whatever the role Christ is, has, we have 
all things are related to that. He will remind you everything I have said. So the Holy Spirit, when we are baptized into Christ, that's what's going to happen. When the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, he, this is what he's going to teach us all things. He's going to teach us our role over all things. And he, and he will remind you everything I have said to you. That's important to note. And then there's, um, oh, what are some other verses? Here, here's the one, 1 Corinthians 3, and toward the end, 21 and 22. So it says, so then, and of course they were arguing about who was the best preacher, who was the best minister, and it, Paul was tired of it. He says, so then, no more boasting about human leaders. Tired of that. This is what he says, all things are yours. What do you mean, all things? What are you talking about? Whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas, listen to this, or the world or life or death or the present or the, or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ and Christ is God. Why are all things yours? Because you are Christ, are of Christ. You, you and Christ are identified and all of those things belong to Christ. Who are those ministers? Well, they just are ministers to help you understand your calling. They have a job to do. Paul, Apollos, Cephas, they, they belong to us, the body of Christ. They're doing that for our good. They're teaching, all of them. Now, God's going to judge and evaluate whether or not they taught properly. Right? And this That will be on them. So if any, where it says, if if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. He's built on the foundation. He's Apollos, Peter, or Cephas, Peter or Paul. And then if what he has built, if, if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but he, himself, he will, himself will be saved. It's not about salvation. So all things belong to us. And then there's... Um, Oh gosh, there's 8 6, 1 Corinthians 8 6. I don't think we've read this one before. 8 6 says, Yet for us there is but one God. This is where people are arguing about sacrifice, eating food sacrificed to idols, by the way. There's one God, the Father, from whom all things came and from whom we live. Right? This is the, there's one God and the Father from whom all things came and in whom we live, from whom we live. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came. So notice the Father through whom all things came and then Jesus from whom all things came. What is that to say? It is to say that the Father delegated these duties to Christ. We read that in John. Through him all things were created. No, not one thing made that has been made. He delegated to Christ all things. Through him, all things came and through whom we live. We live in Christ. Through whom? That's how God the Father designed that. We are in him. He is in us. He are, he's living in us. So, again, we see all things. And then the classic Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 uh, Let's turn to that one. 15 to 20. 
The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. What are all things here? Things in heaven and on earth, visible and visible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him, again we see, and for him. So Christ is the focal point of all things, right? He says it this way, all things that the Father has have been given to me. That's what he's saying. He's the focal point, right? He, through Christ, many sons will come into glory. It won't be that they just will be other sons. They will be uh, predestined according to the image of his son, of, of Christ. We're gonna, He's the pattern, and we're going to come after him. Well, we're in him, just like people came, Adam came, and those who were after Adam were in Adam. Christ comes, and those who are after Christ are in Christ. So then, verse 18, he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. He's the Lord. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself, here it is, all things whether things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. All things, that's everything, all creation will be reconciled in him. It's part of the destiny that Christ has. Guess what? We share that destiny with Christ. And then there's the last one that I'll read. And you know what? You can do your own search by looking in the, the Bible and you could search on all things for yourself. And, and you, like I said, you have to pay attention to the context. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. So God the Father appointed Christ to be the heir of all things. That's part of the plan. Guess what? You why are why do you have all things? You could say, well, it's because I have I'm associated with Christ through the baptism of the Spirit. But really, how come Christ has all things? It's because all things were made. He was appointed to to have to be the heir of all things. And that's why it says, uh, where it says, all things were made by him in Colossians and for him. Important to note. So these are distinctions I'm hoping that you see. Maybe you do see them and you wouldn't already saw them and didn't see them. It's up to you. But I want to point them out for us so we can have them on record. So we know our position over all things. Ephesians 1.23. Ephesians 1.23. Right? This is um, verses that we know. What is their time? Looking okay. Ephesians 1, 23. You have to hurry. Well, we'll start 22. God placed, notice, all things under his feet and appointed him. So there it is again. Christ is ruler over all things. Right. Um, you could also skip back to where it says, uh, verse, verse 
9 and 10, he, he made known to us the mystery of his will, of his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under Christ. So notice, all things are yours, all things. So back to our verse, and God placed all things, in verse 22, all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. He's our Lord. And what about it, which is his body, verse 23, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The fullness of Christ is our fullness. In him we also have this fullness. There's that Colossians 2 scripture. We have also we have fullness. He has fullness, so we do too. Right? But even though we have the same fullness that he has over all things, right? he's the Lord. Don't forget that. He's the Lord. So let's continue on. So we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So this is where I want to share with you Weist. How does Weist read this? This is how his translation is. It says, And we know with an absolute knowledge that for those who are loving God, all things are working together, resulting in good. Notice he changed the word order. Has the same meaning, though. But I like sometimes changing the word order gives you clarity about what is being said. I like the way uh, Wiest says it here. And I'll read it again. And we know with an absolute knowledge that for those who are loving God, so no, loving God, as we're going to get to, has to do with a level of maturity that we have. We can't, we don't come out from being born again loving God. It takes time for us to come to not only believe the plan, but to know the plan, to believe the plan, to come to love the plan. It's levels of spiritual growth that we need to come to the place where we now love the plan for our own selves. This is our choice now. We read that. Suffering is in it. Suffering produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by means of the Holy Spirit. That's Romans 5, 1 through 5. So, the word order is good, right? All things are working together. And we know this because, why do we know this? It's because we've been taught about our eternal purpose. We've been taught about the impact that we have on all things. We've been taught about the authority that we have in Christ. So, so what is it? God works for the good, right? What does that mean, God works for the good? That means his plan is moving forward. For God, what is good for God, he's not saying what is good for us. Even though what's good for God is good for us. Because we love God's plan and we want his plan. We yearn for his plan to come to completion. So what's good for God is good for us. <laughs> That's what we want too. What, what he wants. God, it's not about what's good for us. Like, oh, you know, if I get that job, 
if I could finally just get that promotion that I was looking for. Yeah, and then if we get it, we say, yeah, God works together. He works for the good. It's not about that at all. It's not even in the context anywhere, things like that. What's in the context is the fact that we're sons and that God is working out a plan, bringing it to fruition, calling out those many sons into glory. Do you know God stopped time to bring these many sons into glory? And then he's going to put time back on after the rapture and Israel's 70th week will continue. He stopped time for you. He's not working things out so you're good. Now, of course, he gives you provisional grace so you can live in this world. He takes care of us. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. He has to if he wants me to be in this world. He's the one that put me in here. He has to take care of me. That's He's obligated. Like, like what he says about, uh, he says, look at the birds of the air. Look at, they don't sow. They don't work hard to get, God provides for them. And not one sparrow falls to the ground that God does not take notice. He knows every single thing. He knows you're here. If he knows a sparrow's here, he knows you're here. He's the one that put us here. We are called for this purpose. Surely he's going to provide for us, sustain us in this world. So God is working for the good is a reference to him working out his eternal purpose. For us, we're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing. We're groaning, yearning. Uh, in this hope, we were saved. This is why he called us. We are seeing what he did in eternity past as we live in time. So it's, he works for the good of those who love him, those who have eyes to see. Because you don't have eyes to see and ears to hear if you don't love him. Right? This is a verse that talks about people who are from, a, from a, a mature mindset when it comes to their destiny. 1 Corinthians 2, 2, 9 and 10, right? It says the same thing. He says, eyes are not seen, ear is not heard, neither has it entered, or entered a heart of mind. The things that God has prepared for those who love him. But then it says, but God has revealed these things to us. By means of his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. And then you can look at Revelation 2, 17, where it talks about, He that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Who's in charge? The Spirit is the one who's ultimately in charge of us. And each church, each successive church in Revelation... It says that phrase, he that has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, and, and, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. So what does it mean to be called? It means he chose us in him before the creation of the world. You, you're not called unless, and we're talking about this calling. He didn't call you to be in Israel. You're not responsible to be obedient to Israel. 
you're responsible to be obedient to the age in which you live, the church age. The age that was hidden and that is now revealed. So when it says, for those who have been called, we've been called from eternity past, right? Eternity past is where God chose us. That sets up the call for us. It sets up our, the hope of our calling in this particular age, in time. So God from eternity past, before there was time, called us. He, he, he chose us in him. It says, before the creation of the world. We were already, here we are, living all these years later. And we're starting to see the eternality of God. You didn't forget that he called you. <laughs> if it would have been me, I'd have been like, oh, I called them. I called them too. No, he called everyone who is in the church, God chose them to be in the church. There's no mistakes here. God does not make mistakes. And he, he chose every single one. Every single one will, will answer the call and be baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. Every single one. No exceptions. So that's what it means to be called in this age. We're called according to his purpose. Right? We're not just called, well, we're here standing around. <laughs> we don't have much to do, but we, we don't even know what it is we're supposed to do, but we're here. No, you, your call, being, being to answer the call, is one, you have to be saved. Two, you have to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2.4 You have to come to the full epinos knowledge of the truth. Because then, because your calling is according, not just he called, he called you according to a purpose. And that rem reminds me of looking at Ephesians chapter 3 again. We're going back to 3. So we're being called according to his purpose. And what does it say in 3.11? According to... His eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah, we were called to be in Christ. There, that verse is clear. There it is. The two verses complement one another. This is, your calling is huge. So just remember, time stopped for you. Where, where God would call out those many sons into glory. He's calling us out according to his purpose, that he, pre, he predestined us, and this is our next verse, verse 29, we'll get to this next week. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That's Romans 8, 29. And that's how, how are we predestined to be conformed to the image of his son? Baptism of the Spirit. Our lives have predestined, we're going to get to what that means, have been marked out literally to be conformed to the image of his son. Positionally, we're there. We already are there. With the baptism of the Spirit, we were there. Experientially, there are some things that have to happen. You can come to know this through knowledge of his will. You can come to learn the hope of your calling, like we've been learning all through Romans. And ultimately, we'll experience it through our resurrection bodies or full adoption.
ascension, where God will complete his work in the church. So it is all hinging on what God has done for us. We have been called according to his special, I could add special purpose. His eternal purpose. So we could, I'm not adding to the Bible, I'm just hoping you, you see how these verses fit together. We must quit. It is time. Let's bow our heads as we close. Father, thank you for this hour that we've had. We thank you for those who have joined and we pray that each one that is here will understand the hope of their calling, the glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints. We pray that the wisdom that you have for us to traffic in, that this is what we will be our conversation, that we will come to, to know you better by learning these things. And then we will come to know ourselves and our identity and our destiny. So we thank you for uh, this body that we have. This word is truth, Christian church. And we pray for, for this church, especially for each person in it. And where we are able to discuss these things and, and freely have a conversation about these deep things. We thank you for this. It is the meat we need to survive. All this we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. 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 Amen.